0: Section 12 of the Journals of Robert Falcon Scott. Volume 1 by Robert Falcon Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. Section 12. Chapter 5. Depot laying to one ton camp. Part 3. Friday, February the tenth. Number nine camp. Twelve miles, two hundred yards. Cold march. Very chilly wind. Overcast sky. Difficult to see surface, of course. "'Notice sledges, ponies, etc. cast shadows all round. "'Surface very good, and animals did splendidly. "'We came over some undulations during the early part of the march, "'but the last part appeared quite flat. "'I think I remember observing the same fact on our former trip. "'The wind veers and backs from south to west, "'and even to north, coming in gusts. "'The Sestruji are distinctly south-south-west.' There isn't a shadow of doubt that the prevailing wind is along the coast, taking the curve of the deep bay south of the bluff. The question now is, shall we, by going due southward, keep this hard surface? If so, we should have little difficulty in reaching the Beardmore Glacier next year. We turn out of our sleeping-bags about nine p.m. Somewhere about eleven-thirty, I shout to the soldier, HOW ARE THINGS? There is a response, suggesting readiness and soon after figures are busy among sledges and ponies. It is chilling work for the fingers, and not too warm for the feet. The rugs come off the animals, the harness is put on, tents and camp equipment are loaded on the sledges, nose-bags filled for the next halt. One by one the animals are taken off the picketing rope, and yoked to the sledge. Oates watches his animal warily, reluctant to keep such a nervous creature standing in the traces, if one is prompt, one feels impatient and fretful, whilst watching one's more tardy fellows. Wilson and Meares hang about, ready to help with odds and ends. Still we wait. The picketing lines must be gathered up. A few pony-putties need adjustment. A party has been slow striking their tent. With numbed fingers on our horse's bridle, and the animal striving to turn its head from the wind, one feels resentful. At last all is ready.' "'One says, "'All right, Bowers, go ahead,' and Birdie leads his big animal forward, starting, as he continues, at a steady pace. "'The horses have got cold, and at the word they are off. "'The soldiers and one or two others with a rush. "'Finesco give poor foothold on the slippery sastrugi, and for a minute or two drivers have some difficulty in maintaining the pace on their feet. "'Movement is warming, and in ten minutes the column has settled itself to steady marching.' The pace is still brisk, the light bad, and at intervals one or another of us suddenly steps on a slippery patch and falls prone. These are the only real incidents of the march. For the rest it passes with a steady tramp, and slight variation of formation. The weaker ponies drop a bit, but not far, so that they are soon up in line again, when the first halt is made. We have come to a single halt in each half-march. Last night it was too cold to stop long and a very few minutes found us on the go again. As the end of the half-march approaches, I get out my whistle. Then, at a shrill blast, Bowers wheels slightly to the left. His tent-mates lead still further out to get the distance for the picket lines. Oates and I stop behind Bowers and Evans, the two other sledges of our squad behind the two other of Bowers. So we are drawn up in camp formation." The picket lines are run across at right angles to the line of advance, and secured to the two sledges at each end. In a few minutes the ponies are on the lines, covered, tents up again, and cookers going. Meanwhile the dog-drivers, after a long cold wait at the old camp, have packed the last sledge and come trotting along our tracks. They try to time their arrival in the new camp immediately after our own, and generally succeed well. The mid-march halt runs into an hour to an hour and a half and at the end we pack up and tramp forth again. We generally make our final camp about eight o'clock, and within an hour and a half most of us are in our sleeping bags. Such is at present the daily routine. At the long halt we do our best for our animals by building snow walls and improving their rugs, etc. Saturday, February 11th, number 10, Camp Bearings, latitude 78 degrees 47 minutes, Bluff, South, 79 West, Left Extreme Bluff, 65 degrees, Bluff A, White Island, near Sound, 11 miles, covered 6 and 5 miles, between halts. The surface has got a good deal softer. In the next two marches we should know more certainly, but it looks as though the conditions to the south will not be so good as those we have had hitherto. Blossom, Evans's pony, has very small hooves, and found the going very bad. It is less a question of load than one of walking, and there is no doubt that some form of snowshoe would help greatly. The question is, what form? All the ponies were a little done when we stopped, but the weather is favourable for a good rest. There is no doubt this night marching is the best policy. Even the dogs found the surface more difficult to-day, but they are pulling very well. Mears has deposed Osman in favour of Rabchick, as the former was getting either very disobedient or very deaf. The change appears excellent. Rabchick leads most obediently. Memo for next year. A stout male bamboo shod with a spike to sound for crevasses. Sunday, February the 12th, number 11 Camp. 10 miles. Depot, one bale of fodder. Variation 150 East, South, True, equals North, 30 East, by Compass. The surface is getting decidedly worse, the ponies sink quite deep, every now and again. We marched six and a quarter miles before lunch, Blossom dropping considerably behind. He lagged more on the second march, and we halted at nine miles. Evans said he might be dragged for another mile, and we went on for that distance and camped. The sky was overcast, very dark and snowy-looking in the south, very difficult to steer a course. Our discovery is in line with the south end of the bluff, from the camp, and we are near the seventy-ninth parallel. We must get exact bearings, for this is to be called the Bluff Camp, and should play an important part in the future. Bearings. Bluff, 36 degrees, 13 minutes. Black Island, right extreme. I have decided to send E. Evans, Ford, and Kean back with the three weakest ponies, which they have been leading, the remaining five ponies, which have been improving in condition, will go on for a few days at least, and we must see how near we come to the eightieth parallel. To-night we have been making all the necessary arrangements for this plan. Cherry Garrard is to come into our tent. Monday, February the 13th, number 12 Camp, 9 miles, 150 yards. The wind got up from the south, with drift, before we started yesterday. All appearance of a blizzard. But we got away at twelve-thirty, and marched through drift for seven miles. It was exceedingly cold at first. Just at starting, the sky cleared in the wonderfully rapid fashion usual in these regions. We saw that our camp had the southern edge of the base rock of the bluff in line with Mount Discovery, and White Island well clear of the eastern slope of Mount Erebus, a fairly easy alignment to pick up. At lunchtime the sky lightened up, and the drift temporarily ceased. I thought we were going to get in a good march, but on starting again the drift came thicker than ever, and soon the course grew wild. We went on for two miles, and then decided to camp. So here we are, with a full blizzard blowing. I told Wilson I should camp if it grew thick, and hope he and Mears have stopped where they were. They saw Evans start back from Number 11 camp before leaving. I trust they have got in something of a march before stopping. This continuous bad weather is exceedingly trying— But our own ponies are quite comfortable this time, I am glad to say. We have built them extensive snow walls, behind which they seem to get quite comfortable shelter. We are five in a tent, yet fairly comfortable. Our ponies' coats are certainly getting thicker, and I see no reason why we shouldn't get to the eightieth parallel if only the weather would give us a chance. Bowers is wonderful. Throughout the night he has worn no headgear but a common green felt hat, kept on with the chin-stay. And affording no cover whatever for the ears. His face and ears remained bright red. The rest of us were glad to have thick balaclavas and wind helmets. I have never seen anyone so unaffected by the cold. To-night he remained outside a full hour, after the rest of us had got into the tent. He was simply pottering about the camp, doing small jobs to the sledges, etc. Cherry Garrard is remarkable because of his eyes. He can only see through glasses, and has to wrestle with all sorts of inconveniences in consequence. Yet one would never guess it, for he manages somehow to do more than his share of the work. Tuesday, February 14th, 13 Camp, 7 miles, 650 yards. A disappointing day. The weather had cleared. The night was fine, though cold, temperature well below zero, with a keen southwest breeze. Soon after the start, we struck very bad surface conditions. The ponies sank lower than their hocks frequently, and the soft patches of snow left by the blizzard lay in sandy heaps, making great friction for the runners. We struggled on, and found Gran with weary Willie dropping to the rear. I consulted Oates as to distance, and he cheerfully proposed fifteen miles for the day. This piqued me somewhat, and I marched till the sledge-metre showed six and a half miles. By this time Weary Willie had dropped about three-quarters of a mile, and the dog-teams were approaching. Suddenly we heard much barking in the distance, and later it was evident that something had gone wrong. Oates and then I hurried back. I met Mears, who told me the dogs of his team had got out of hand and attacked Weary Willie when they saw him fall. Finally they had been beaten off, and Weary Willie was being led without his sledge. Weary Willie had been much bitten, but luckily I think not seriously.' He appears to have made a gallant fight and bit and shook some of the dogs with his teeth. Grounded his best, breaking his ski-stick. Meares broke his dog-stick. One way and another the dogs must have had a rocky time, and yet they seem to bear charm lives when their blood is up, as apparently not one of them has been injured. After lunch four of us went back and dragged up the load. It taught us the nature of the surface more than many hours of pony-leading. The incident is deplorable, and the blame widespread. I find Weary Willie's load was much heavier than that of the other ponies. I blame myself for not supervising these matters more effectively, and for allowing Weary Willie to get so far behind. We started off again after lunch, but when we had done two-thirds of a mile, Weary Willie's condition made it advisable to halt. He has been given a hot feed, a large snow-wall, and some extra sacking. The day promises to be quiet and warm for him, and one can only hope that these measures will put him right again. But the whole thing is very annoying. Memo. Arrangements for ponies. Hot bran or oat mashes. Clippers for breaking wires of bales. Pickets for horses. Lighter ponies to take ten-foot sledges. The surface is so crusty and friable that the question of snowshoes again becomes of great importance. All the sustrugi are from south-west by south to south-west, and all the wind that we have experienced in this region. There cannot be a doubt that the wind sweeps up the coast at all seasons. A point has arisen as to the deposition. David called the crusts seasonal. This must be wrong. They mark blizzards, but after each blizzard fresh crusts are formed only over the patchy heaps left by the blizzard. A blizzard seems to leave heaps which cover anything from one-sixth to one-third of the whole surface. Such heaps presumably turn hollows into mounds, with fresh hollows between. These are filled in turn by ensuing blizzards. If this is so, the only way to get at the seasonal deposition would be to average the heaps deposited, and multiply this by the number of blizzards in the year. Monday, February 15th, 14 Camp, 7 miles, 775 yards. The surface was wretched to-day. The two drawbacks of yesterday, the thin crusts which let ponies through, and the sandy heaps which hang on the runners, if anything, exaggerated. Bowers's pony refused work at intervals for the first time. His hind legs sink very deep. Weary Willie is decidedly better. The soldier takes a gloomy view of everything, but I've come to see that this is a characteristic of him. In spite of it, he pays every attention to the weaker horses. We had frequent halts on the march, but managed four miles before lunch, and three and a half after. The temperature was minus fifteen degrees at the lunch camp. It was cold sitting in the tent, waiting for the ponies to rest. The thermometer is now minus seven degrees, but there is a bright sun and no wind, which makes the air feel quite comfortable. One's socks and finesco dry well. Our provision allowance is working out very well. In fact, all is well with us, except the condition of the ponies.' The more I see of the matter, the more certain I am that we must save all the ponies, to get better value out of them next year. It would have been ridiculous to have worked some out this year, as the soldier wished. Even now I feel we went too far with the first three. One thing is certain. A good snowshoe would be worth its weight in gold on this surface, and if we can get something really practical, we ought to greatly increase our distances next year. MEMOS STORAGE OF BISCUIT NEXT YEAR. LASHING CASES ON SLEDGES LOOK INTO SLEDGE METER PICKET LINES FOR PONIES FOOD TANKS TO BE SIZED REQUIRED TWO SLEDGES ALTERED TO TAKE STEEL RUNNERS STOWAGE OF PONY FOOD ENOUGH SACKS FOR READY BAGS THURSDAY, FEBRUARY the 16TH SIX MILES, 1450 YARDS FIFTEEN CAMP THE SURFACE IS A GOOD DEAL BETTER BUT THE ponies RUNNING OUT Three of the five could go on without difficulty. Bowers's pony might go on a bit, but Weary Willie is a good deal done up, and to push him further would be to risk him unduly, so to-morrow we turn. The temperature on the march to-night fell to minus twenty-one degrees with a brisk south-west breeze. Bowers started out as usual in his small felt hat, ears uncovered. Luckily I called a halt after a mile and looked at him. His ears were quite white. Cherry and I nursed them back, whilst the patients seemed to feel nothing but intense surprise and disgust at the mere fact of possessing such unruly organs. Oates's nose gave great trouble. I got frostbitten on the cheek lightly, as also did Cherry Garrard. Tried to march in light woollen mitts, to great discomfort. FRIDAY, FEBRUARY seventeenth, CAMP 15 LATITUDE 79 DEGREES 28.5 MINUTES SOUTH It clouded over yesterday. The temperature rose and some snow fell. Wind from the south, cold and biting, as we turned out. We started to build the depot. I had intended to go on half a march and return to the same camp, leaving Weary Willie to rest, but under the circumstances did not like to take risk. STORES LEFT IN DEPOT LATITUDE 79 DEGREES 29 MINUTES Seven weeks full provision bags for one unit, two hundred forty five pounds. Two days provision bags for one unit, twelve pounds. Eight weeks tea, eight pounds. Six weeks extra butter, thirty one pounds. Biscuit, seven weeks full biscuit, hundred seventy six pounds. Eight and a half gallons oil, twelve weeks oil for one unit, eighty five pounds. Five sacks of oats, eight hundred fifty pounds. Four bales of fodder, four hundred twenty four pounds. Tank of Dog Biscuit, £250. Two Cases of Biscuit, £100. Total, £2,181. One Skein White Line. One Set Breast Harness. two 12-foot Sledges. Two Pairs Ski, One Pair Ski-Sticks. One Minimum Thermometer. One Tin tree Cocoa. One Tin Matches. With packing, we have landed considerably over a tonne of stuff. It is a pity we couldn't get to eighty degrees, but as it is we shall have a good leg up for next year, and can at least feed the ponies full up to this point. Our Camp 15 is very well marked, I think. Besides the flag-staff and black flag we have piled biscuit-boxes, filled and empty, to act as reflectors, secured tea-tins to the sledges, which are planted upright in the snow. The depot cairn is more than six feet above the surface, very solid and large, Then there are the pony-protection walls. Altogether, it should show up for many miles. I forgot to mention that, looking back on the 15th, we saw a cairn, built on a camp twelve and a half miles behind. It was miraged up. It seems as though some of our party will find spring journeys pretty trying. Oates's nose is always on the point of being frostbitten. Mears has a refractory toe which gives him much trouble. This is the worst prospect for summit work. I have been wondering how I shall stick the summit again. This cold spell gives ideas. I think I shall be all right, but one must be prepared for a pretty good doing. End of chapter 5, part 3